Hey, it's great to be back here and to open God's Word. Um, get your Bibles out. Open to me Ephesians chapter 3. You'll know where Ephesians is. You've been there for a while in the church. And uh, I want us to focus on to uh, one uh, major concept out of Ephesians chapter 3 and uh, help us just to see what God is doing. Thank you for uh, allowing us to come today. It's great for Sue and I to be here and to uh, share God's Word. We've been very busy since the last time. We're putting on a new role and trying to figure it out. In the last uh, six or seven weeks, we've uh, we spent two weeks in Romania. We've been in Ottawa. Last week, we were in Indianapolis, and this week, we're here. And the rest of the summer, we're kind of in southern Ontario, so that's uh, kind of nice. But uh, just such a privilege for us to travel to the churches and be there and see what God is doing across uh, his work in his churches and what's being done for his glory. Like the, the role that I have is really about uh, helping our churches to have strong leaders, uh, healthy churches, and then multiplying God-glorifying uh, churches, not only in Canada, but around the world. And uh, our focus in Canada will first be to be a church planting um, um, system, organization, body uh, across Canada, uh, but then also the influence that God's given us right around the world. So uh, keep praying for us. Pray for your church in those things. You are so involved in that, and uh, we are so, um, so thankful for it. Well, I want to talk about our purpose in life today. What is your purpose? When you think about it, what is your purpose? Now, when you think about the church, you might think, well, what's the purpose of the church? Be a good place to start, eh? So maybe, maybe you think, well, the purpose of the church is to see people saved. That would be a good thing, wouldn't it? But that's not the main purpose of the church. It's a good thing, but it's not the main thing. Maybe you'd be like, well, maybe the purpose of the church is discipleship, how we can build one another up and stir one another towards love and good deeds. Like, that would be a good purpose, wouldn't it? Well, it's a good purpose, but it's not the main purpose. Well, maybe the purpose of the church is like to have to make sure you got offerings and you got people in the seats and there's more bodies coming all the time. Would, would those be wrong things? Would those be the purpose of the church? Well, they're good things, but they're not the main purpose. The main purpose of the church is to glorify God. Those other things are good things, but they're not the main thing. And when you get the main thing wrong, then all the other things kind of get skewed and out of focus. Well, well, what about in our personal lives? Like, what's the purpose of your personal life? Well, now you know the answer to the question, but so often we get dis dis um, distracted by other things that might be good things, but they're not the main thing. Uh, maybe as a husband, you think the main purpose of my life is to make sure we have devotions every day in our family. Um, well, it's a good thing, but it's not the main thing. Uh, maybe the main thing in my life, man, would be like, well, I need to lead my wife well. I need to make sure our marriage is solid. Um, that's a good thing, but it's not the main thing. Uh, maybe, the, maybe the thing I'm about in my life is about our kids. We want to make sure they, they're healthy and, and they've got all the opportunities that can be afforded to them. And, well, that's a good thing, but it's not the main thing. And by the way, if your kid's playing hockey or sports and you think that's how you're going to retire on what they're doing, you pretty much can forget that because that's like a one in a million shot that uh, that's going to work for you anyways. And uh, maybe you, you've got to the place in your life, you wouldn't actually say this, but it's what you actually do, and that is my job. The purpose in my life is my job, and, and you're so focused on it, it's not a bad thing, but it's not the main thing. The main thing in your life, the main thing in the church, is the glory of God. 
And that's what we want to take a look at today. And I want to dive into that in some verses from Ephesians 3. We're going to look at verses 7 through 21. But I really just want to read the doxology at the end of that section, starting in verse 20. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word. We thank you that we can hold it in our hands. We thank you that we can read it and that we can understand it. But Lord, I pray today, not only would you give us ears to hear what you're saying to us and minds to understand, but then, Lord, would you give us the faith to live these things out for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Father, we ask that you would do in this place, you would ask that we would do in our hearts what we can't do. And through the power of your Spirit, Lord, if we need to be broken in something, then break us, Lord. If I need to be broken in something today, Lord, then break me in that thing. If I need to be encouraged, we need to be encouraged and encourage us. But Lord, we pray that through this time together, Jesus Christ would be exalted. We would learn to live for the glory of God Almighty. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to talk about seven truths that will help us stay focused on our purpose, but understanding first that the purpose of our church is to glorify God. We just saw it in that text I wrote. Uh, I read. I didn't write it. I, I, I read it. Um, it says, to him be glory in the church. Of the sign out in the foyer as you're coming into your church says to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. So to glorify God is the thing. And how we do it is through those other things. You're uh, going to have a name change in your church. You're going to, in September, I understand, you're going to be called Mission City Bible Church. Um, I hope that wasn't a secret that I just told everybody. But um, although the name will change, the purpose remains the same. The purpose is to glorify God. That's the purpose of your church. I see that when I come here. I see that in the focus on prayer. I see that in the focus on ministry. I hear that in the prayers for people that we would open God's word. I heard that in the, in, in the introduction from your pastor. Um, the purpose is to glorify God. The purpose of my life, secondary, again, the purpose of my life, the um, Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink, okay, we all spend a lot of time doing those things, or whatever you do, so now there's nothing left outside of the scope, right? Eating, drinking, and everything else you do in your entire life. Do all to the glory of God. Love your wife to the glory of God. Lead your kids to the glory of God. Go to school and be a student to the glory of God. Do your job to the glory of God. How'd you do with that last week? Did you ever think about that even as a focus at any point in the week? 
If you did, praise God and keep on keeping on. And if you didn't, then I trust this message will be a, a great encouragement and a help to you. So seven things we want to take a look at out of this text, starting in verse 7. To live on purpose, here's the first thing. I have to understand the value of the gift. If I'm going to live on purpose, on my purpose to glorify God, I have to understand the value of the gift. Look at what verse 7 says. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Uh, Paul calls himself a minister in this text. Uh, to this gospel, I was made a minister. Literally, that word minister means a table waiter. Now, that's what I am for the service of God. I'm like a table waiter. I'm the one who brings the food. I'm the one who takes things back. I'm the one who gets things cleaned up. That's what I do uh, for the glory of God. Why? Because he understood the value of the gift according to the gift of God's grace. The gift of God's grace when you wake up in the morning, before your feet hit the floor, do you think about God's grace in your life? See, that'd be a great practice for you to try to do. If, you can't, if you're not awake enough and you just stumble until you, you get to the, uh, um, to the washroom or wherever you go first, um, then put a sign on your mirror, uh, the grace of God. Or when you get down, stick it on the coffee mirror. Put it somewhere so that, so that you come back to the grace of God of God. God's wondrous working that brought you from death to life. It's not just the message for the person who needs Christ. We'll come back to that in a second. It is the reality for every one of us as a believer. I live out of the reality of what Christ has accomplished for me. The moment I trusted Jesus Christ, I was saved. I'm saved for eternity. It's not going away. It's not being taken away. It's, it's safe. That's amazing. But then we should come back and not take that for granted, but rather come back to that and be thinking about that and rejoicing in that. That's what Paul talks about. He's, he's focused on this gift of God's grace. Make Christ big in your life. Make Christ big before your family. Make Christ big um, in your walk. Make Christ big in your service. And as you can, I realize we live in a secular world, but make Christ big in your workplace by your ethics, by your self-control, by your um, work habits. And then as God opens the door for you to give verbal communication about who Jesus Christ is, that we would make Christ big. See, Paul caught hold of that. He understood this gift of God's grace, and it overwhelmed him. And here, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, don't worry about all the rest of these things. If you haven't got this piece, you've missed the main thing, and that is God's grace poured out for us, the salvation made possible through the coming and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ so you could be made, with, made right with Christ. Now, the Bible says in the book of Romans, I love the Romans road, the, the Romans road says, um, all these verses are from Romans 3 and Romans 5 and Romans 6. Um, there's none righteous, not even one. Not one. And so if you think, well, no, I'm going to stand before God someday and I'm going to be okay and God's going to go, yep, you get a pass. No, you don't. The Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. And so if you think you're the one, there isn't one. A sin 
separate us from God. You say, well, I'm not that bad. It doesn't matter how not that bad you are. The reality is any sin separates us from a holy God, and that needs to be made right, and that was made right through Jesus Christ. There's none righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The, the way that the gap of sin, the way that the chasm that was made uh, by, by original sin and our sin is, is taken care of is by the work of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, that's what he's, Paul's talking about even in this text, the grace that's poured out. The gift of God is eternal life. How? Through hard works, through trying harder? No, through Jesus Christ the Lord. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a hope. What a reality. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. See, when you, when you stand before God someday, I don't really believe it's going to happen exactly like this. This is for a picture, right? And when you stand before God someday and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And you say, well, you know, I was a pretty good guy. I, I did some good stuff, and, you know, I, I didn't kick the dog very often. And, you know, overall, I, the, the way it should balance in my favor. And God will say, sorry, I don't even know who you are. When we stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? The, the correct answer to that is because I'm with him. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he did for me. That's why. Not me. And so as you thought about that, if your answer had anything to do with you, eh, you got the exam wrong. The answer is all about Jesus. I put my faith and trust in him. I transferred my trust in the work he did. To live on purpose, you have to grasp as best we can, growing in it, the gift of God's grace and the value of that gift. Understand the value of the gift. Here's the, here's the second thing. To live on purpose you have to understand our position. We have to understand our position in Christ. Look at verse 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is a picture of humility. Understand our position in our humility and in our responsibility. Paul says, I am the very least of all the saints. But I've been called to preach. All of us have been called to preach. You may not be preaching like this, but we're all a sermon. Every day your life is a sermon. You're preaching something about Jesus Christ. When you came in the car here today, one of the worst places for believers, especially if they have families, is in the car coming to church. Right? The devil is in the back seat. And he's not one of your children. Okay, but, but he's back there, and he's just trying to get everything all going. And Paul says... Um, of this gospel, of this gospel I was made a minister. I was the least of all the saints, and I was here to preach. To preach means to announce the good news. Paul also says in Corinthians that we are um, his ambassadors. He calls us his ambassadors. What do ambassadors do? Ambassadors don't make policy. Ambassadors don't choose and make decisions and set direction. Ambassadors pass on the message. They pass on the message from the king. That's what their job is to do. And we've seen in our, our system in Canada some ambassadors who have been saying some things that are kind of outside of the boundaries. Forget about your politics for a second. We're talking about the ambassadors. And, and they're being reprimanded for that or they're being set aside. And Because why? Because you're an ambassador. As an ambassador, you speak for the king. 
Why did God choose to do it that way? I have no idea. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But isn't it an awesome thing that God would allow us to be a part of the process that he uses that people would come to know Jesus Christ? See, you don't save anybody. I can't save anybody. If you come to church today and, and you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior while you're here, it's not because I did that. God, God did that. He did that in his spirit. But for whatever reason, God chooses to use us in that. And we have to understand our position. That should humble us. It should um, break us in some ways that we get to come and we get to talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ. How awesome is that? See, if you want to live for the glory of God, we need to understand this position that God has put us in, but in humility, understanding the responsibility. Um, my mind goes to the verse in John that says, he must increase I must decrease. That's what we do. Make Christ big in our lives. Here's the third thing. To live on purpose, I have to understand the importance of the message. If I'm going to live for the glory of God, if I'm going to live on purpose, I have to understand the importance of this message. Look what verse 9 says. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To bring to light for everyone the plan of the mystery. Jesus didn't say, I am one way to God. He didn't say, you know, you figure it out, and if you come on the Jesus plan, that'd be okay. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we need to be so careful as believers that we don't make that about arrogance about who we are, right? Because it's not. It's the fact that you're sitting here as a believer in Jesus Christ is all because of Christ's work. It's all because of God's doing. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He made you alive in Jesus Christ. This is the working of God. This is not about you. But understand the importance of this message, a message that was hidden for ages in God who created all things. This, this plan of God was from before time. But then and we see time and we see Adam and Eve and we see the fall and we see sin and we see spiritual death and we see separation from God and, and then we see the law as it's rolled out and, and we see all of these things. Why? Well, they demonstrated how inept we are and how unable we are to be righteous before God and, and then so the sacrifices are all let out. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin and, and so the blood of, of goats and, and of, of bulls does not... It, the, all those things were just a picture of what was coming in Jesus Christ. What he would do. What he would accomplish. See, the importance of the message. You won't live for the glory of God if you think, well, it's just one of many ways people can get there. But when we understand the exclusiveness of what Jesus taught, then we understand how important it is that we live for the glory of God. Understand the importance of this message. Hidden for ages. The God who created all of these things. It says, so that the church, through the, excuse me, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. This is the working of God, so that through the church, the message of Jesus Christ, the hope that we can have in him would be, would be made known. This message is important because it is the only answer. 
when you think about your neighbor and you think about your family and you think about maybe a wayward son or a brother or a sister and the answer is not in other ways, it's not in other things, the answer is in Jesus Christ. And if I'm going to live for the glory of God, I need to feel the weight of the reality that this is the only message that there is. It's hope in Jesus Christ, the hope, the hope of glory. Here's the fourth thing. To live on, on purpose, I have to understand the big picture. Understand the big picture. Look at verses 11 and 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through our faith in him. This was God's plan from the beginning. Uh, this was the big picture thing. This was God's eternal purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus. All of that Old Testament stuff we talked about, all of that that was laid out before was all pointing towards Jesus Christ. It was all going to be realized in him. It was all part of God's plan realized in Christ Jesus in whom we have access and boldness and confidence. How? Through our faith in him. I'm always overwhelmed that that God desires that we would come to him. Who, who am I to come before the Lord? Who, who would I even think I am to come before God? I think of Isaiah 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, right, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And what does he do? He falls on his face because he understands he's in the presence of an awesome pure, righteous God, and he is not those things. But he gets it that that's where our hope is found. I love that in this verse he uses the word faith. These things that we get, this opportunity we have comes through our faith in him. So circling back to the beginning about this work of Christ, this amazing gift of grace is your faith in him, is your hope in him? Or, or are you really, if you're really honest with yourself, my, my hope is in my job, my hope is in my family, my hope is in my staff, my hope is in our faith and our hope is in him. He says it gives us boldness and access and confidence to come to God. You ever think about that? God desires, God's will is that you come to him. He gives you access that you can come to him. And we come to him through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But we're told we can come, and we're told we can come with boldness. Now, understand, look, look up here for a second. Boldness is not arrogance. It's not like, well, I got the right, I got a right to do this. No, that's not what this picture is at all. But this is the way we can come because we're offered this door of opening to come to the Lord and, and we come with a boldness. We don't have to come timidly wondering whether God's going to receive us or loves us or cares. We come with a boldness because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done. The other words there are boldness and access and, and confidence. I remember one time counseling a young adult man who was wrestling with some things. He'd been through some difficult times for sure. Um, he was um, just finished being a student, wasn't able to find a job, and some other circumstances in his life, if I remember, he just had a breakup, and, and, but another part of it is his best friend committed suicide. All of that was just like pouring in on top of him, pouring in on top of him. And he, quite frankly, was ticked off at God. 
And I said to him, Mom, why don't you tell God how you feel? And he said, well, I could never do that. I said, really? You don't think God doesn't know your heart? You don't think that God doesn't... The, only, the, the problem here is not with God. The problem here is with you. And you won't come before the Lord. And you won't lay it out for him. Not that we come to dump on God, on who do you think you are and what do you think you have done, but in honesty coming, God, I don't understand. It's too much for me. And to hear him prayer and then to hear him pray and to hear him break under that and come to the Lord, help me, help me, help me. The eternal purposes of God in our salvation, in our hope, but then this great picture that we can come. Do you even come to God? When the problems at work come, where do you go? Do you just try harder? If I just try harder and work smarter, well, you might need to do that, but you need to come to the Lord. When one of your kids has gone sideways, do you like, well, we got to fix this, we got to fix this, or do you bring it to the Lord? We come with boldness and access and confidence and Maybe you haven't been coming to the Lord and understand this eternal picture of God realized in Christ through faith allows us to come to God with the things that are on our minds. Understand this big picture. Here's the fifth thing. We have to understand the struggle to remain faithful. We have to understand the struggle to remain faithful. Look look down at verse 13. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. It's not going to be easy. This walk in Christ was never determined that it would be easy. As a matter of fact, we're told it's going to be hard. Don't be surprised when the trials come. Don't be surprised because they're going to come. The person who preaches that as a believer, everything's going to be fine for you, isn't preaching the whole counsel of God. It's going to be difficult, but God's going to go through it with us. And at the end, we're going to win huge, but it's not going to be easy. I love the fact that Paul puts this verse right in the middle of this. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. It's a great picture for us to think about. You know, you've just finished a series in the book of Ephesians, and so it is kind of cool that my message takes us back there. Um, Because as I thought about what Paul is saying, the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, for sure, are written when he's in Rome, in prison. He's not just sitting in his office on a Tuesday afternoon going, I think I'll write a letter to the church at Ephesus. And so he's in jail, prison of some sort. He doesn't have the freedom he wishes. He's going to be dead soon because of his faith in Christ. And he writes this letter. And I've often wondered what he was thinking as he wrote these things. He was writing a letter to a church, hoping it would get there, hoping it would get read, hoping it would get passed around to other people to read, and hoping that they would hear it and read it and understand it and do it in their lives. But he probably or maybe never knew. And yet he was faithful. He was faithful. And so when when he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, I, I think about his suffering. 
and then his service and, and just that wondering, what would ever be accomplished out of it? You know, maybe you serve in Harvest Kids or work in the youth ministry or you're a small group leader or, and, and there are days for all of us, there are days, why do I even do this? Why do I keep on doing this? Like nothing's being accomplished, nothing's getting done. It's, it's not ever going to accomplish anything. And yet Paul wrote Ephesians, and Paul wrote Philippians, and Paul wrote Colossians, not knowing, couldn't send them express mail, couldn't send them UPS, couldn't send them and get a receipt back going, yeah, they got it, they got it, and hoping they got it, hoping they read it. And, but think about this. What God did with what he did went way beyond what he even imagined would be accomplished. Paul's writing a letter to the Ephesians. He didn't understand that it would be put in a book and it would be made scripture and that your church would study it and your lives would be changed by it. See, when it's difficult, we don't give up. When it's difficult, we, we lean in. When it's difficult, we trust the Lord for the results of what will come. It was interesting for Sue and I as we uh, finished up our ministry at York Region and we're uh, moving into this new ministry. Our, uh, the farewell at the church was a great time for us. Now, I've got to tell you, God blesses in so many ways in churches. And uh, the Lord took our church to the place where we had three services, which is an amazing thing. It's a difficult thing, but it's an amazing thing to think that God would do that. Um, but let me tell you, when you go to resign, three services is awful. You don't just get to stand up and read your letter once. You stand up and read your letter three times. Then they have a farewell service for you. Three times. It's like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Right? Um, but in the midst of all of that, to hear the stories of what God has done, the cards we got, the letters we got, the testimonies we heard, things that we knew nothing about. And God was working. And God was doing. And so you don't know. You don't know. You, you be faithful. You allow God to work. Sue, Sue served in Awana for like 11 years while we were there. The kids that were three years old when she started were 14 years old and now serving in their day camp and seeing God work. But we don't always get to see it. We don't always understand. And so I love this that Paul puts this in here that uh, these people would understand the re, the, this desire to remain faithful in the midst of the difficult time. Because God's using it for his glory in the church. And maybe you're at the point where it's like, I give up. I quit. I'm not, I'm not working with those snotty-nosed kids one more week. And you're talking about the youth group. <laughs> I'm not working with them anymore. I've had enough of these people, really. When did God give up on you? And think about faithful people in your life who remain faithful in your life. And you'd be like that in your life. Um, for your glory. God working. God working for his glory. All right, here's the sixth thing. To live on, on purpose, I have to understand who is our source. Who is our source? I know when you looked at this as a church, you saw this as a prayer, and it is a prayer. It's exactly what Paul goes to here, and I'm not really going to spend much time in this part, but other than to say, Paul says this, for this reason, I bow the knee. For this reason, I, I bow the knee. Philippians chapter 2 says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not some knees will bow, 
Not a few knees will bow. Not just the knees of believers will bow. It says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you're a believer, that's an amazing thing. One day, you're going to get on your knees and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day. Do you get on your knees now and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? As a follower of Christ, do you take that position of humility before God? You're like, well, you don't have to get on your knees physically to be on your knees in your heart. Yeah, I get it, but you're playing games. But get on your knees and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says, I bow the knee. Yes, you can physically bow your knee and your heart not be bowed. But why not do both? Do your kids ever see you on your knees before the Lord? Do your Christian friends ever see you on your knees before the Lord? I bow the knee. Why? So I can demonstrate that I am under Christ, that he is first, he is on the throne, and I am not the king. I bow the knee. I bow the knee. The Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I'm not bowing the knee. I came to church because my mom and dad told me I have to go once a month or, or I, I came to church because my friend bought, brought me in. And I just, I, I'm never bowing the knee. Can I, as graciously and lovingly as I can, I want to tell you you're wrong. And you're going to bow the knee. You're like, well, I don't believe it. Well, I might say I don't believe in gravity. And just because I say I don't believe in gravity doesn't mean gravity's not real. I don't believe in gravity. I can take my wallet out like this and I can let go of it and it'll just stay there. Well, no, it won't because of gravity. It's going to fall. And whether you believe it or not, it's still true. Paul says, I bow the knee. And everyone will bow the knee. And if you don't know Christ, you will bow the knee and you will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then God will say, but I don't know you. And you'll be separated from God for eternity. And for the believer, we'll bow the knee. And God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. And we'll spend eternity with God in heaven. Understand who is our resource. Paul says, for this reason, I bow the knee. He got it. He understood, I bow the knee. He says, I'm strengthened with power through his spirit. He understood it wasn't about what he did. It was about what God was doing through him. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This picture of dwelling is a picture of a permanent residence. The moment I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, eternal life began for me. Now, believe me, it's going to get way better when we get out of this world. But my eternal life began the moment I trusted Christ. You may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you'd be rooted and grounded in, 
in love. That would be the motivation of what we do. That whole picture of rooted is of a, a living tree that's grounded in the soil, um, uh, fixed in the soil. The word grounded is like a building which has a firm foundation. They may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Think of this as Paul is praying. He's saying the love of Jesus has breadth. It's, God's love is so wide, it's wide enough to include people everywhere. And he says God's, God, God's love in Jesus Christ has length. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love has height. God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. How about this one? God's, God's love has depth. The work of Jesus Christ has depth. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. Like maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, now God can forgive all those other people because, because you know, they were pretty, pretty much just goody two-shoes and it really wasn't that big a deal. But if, if you really knew what I was like, if you really knew what I have done, if you really knew what my heart was like, really? Really? This is a God who loves us. This is a God who is the creator. This is the God who saved Paul, who if he didn't put people to death, certainly consented to having people put to death. He was pretty much a wretched mess. And he said, God's love is deep enough to reach even a mess like me. So however messed up or wretched you think you are, God's love is deep enough to reach to you. Because this God, who is the source, that's just what he does. That's how he works. You may be filled with all the fullness of God that you will know the love of Christ. Well, here's the last thing. If I'm going to live on purpose, understand who is our resource. We have the source, but now God doesn't just, he's not just the source and you get out there and like, good luck, I hope it works out for you. He's also the resource to make this happen through salvation in Jesus Christ, through the working of the Holy Spirit. But just look at the things that he talks about in this last section. We call it a doxology, uh, the ending. Um, and then he goes on and keeps preaching a little bit like this message, right? I said, the ending. I'm going to keep on preaching for a few more minutes. So here's what he says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm not, I'm not sending you out there to do this on your own. But now to him who's able to do far more abundantly. Now to him who's able to save. Now to him who is able to keep. The Bible talks about all of these things. Um, Hebrews 7.25 says, save to the uttermost. Help those who are tempted, Hebrews 2.18. The one who is able to subdue all things unto himself, Philippians 3.21. The one who is able to deliver us from the fires of life, Daniel chapter 3, 16 and 17. You got Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Everybody else may bow, but we're not going to bow. And God saves them. He's able to save us out of those distresses of life. God is able to build us up. Acts 20, 32. Heal us and set us free, Matthew 9, 28. Who is able to keep us from falling, Jude 24. And who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or even think. That's what God does. That's what he equips us for. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm never sending you somewhere that I won't go with you. Now, God, God says, people like to say, well, will God ever allow something to happen to me that I can't handle? Yes, all the time. But God will never put anything before you that with his help you can't handle. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about his working. He's able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think. Well, when does this start for us? The verse says now. Now to him. Like maybe you're there and you're like, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to live for the glory of God, but I got two more years in university or, or two more years and I'm going to get a big job uh, performance thing and I'm going to move forward in the thing or two more years, my kids will be out of the house. Somewhere down the road, I'll do this for God. No, now to him. This is a right now thing in your life. Live for the glory of God right now. Why? Because he'll do far more abundantly than all you could ask or think. I don't think I told this story when I was here the last time, so I'm going to tell it now. This church that I was at, we watched God do a work in growing our church. Um, I started there when there were, I don't know, maybe 100 adults. We were in a school, and, and God did some miraculous things in our church. God gave us a building that was paid for with three quarters of a million dollars in the bank. Like, pinch me, Lord, are you kidding? That's what God did. God took our church and started to grow our church, and we had, we had elders put in place, and, and then uh, one, one meeting, or a number of meetings actually, we just started taking a look at the four pillars, and how are we doing at those, how is our focus on those, and, and we really determined the focus of prayer was the weak link in the, the four pillars for us, and, and we really started to pray about things and asking God to do some things in our church. Lord, would you give us 200 people? Now, was any of that a selfish prayer? Maybe a little bit. I, don't, I hope it wasn't, but, you know, God knows our hearts. And we, if you had 100 people, it would be nice if you had 200 people, right? And, then, and so we prayed for that, and God gave us 200 people, a new 100 messed up people. Um, and then we prayed for more, and God gave us more. And that about 400 people, God allowed us to plant a church in Durham, Ontario, where Pastor Ian is today and serving well and and then we asked God for more, and God continued, and we went from one service to two services, and we went from two services to three services, and we went from 400 to 600 to, I don't even know how many. And God allowed us to plant another church. It was beyond what we ever dreamt. Do you pray for things beyond what you can even dream? Like maybe you've given up praying for your kid because they're so messed up. You don't stop praying as long as there's breath. You don't stop hoping as long as there's breath. Asking God to do far more abundantly beyond what you can even ask or think. Um, that's what God does. He works beyond our wildest dreams. How? The verse says through his power. Through his power. According to the power, his power, at work within us. It's amazing, God's power. If it can be done, God can do it. People say, well, God, God can't do everything. God can't make a circle square. That's just stupid. But God can do anything that can be done. 
And so that thing in your life that you're like, I don't think God can do that. Well, you, you just pray and pray and pray and pray. Coming under God's will, coming under God's direction, coming under God's plan. But God, I'm crying out for this thing because I believe this is a right thing. And I'm not going to give up. I'm going to do my part and I'm going to be faithful, but I'm going to pray. You ask God to do what only, only he can do. Why? For his glory. For his glory. Um, I am the Lord God, that's my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. That's what Isaiah 42 says, 42 verse 8 says. Psalm 115, 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. So the purpose of our church is not more people, it's not more money, it's not more disciples, it's not more evangelism. It's not even more prayer. It's not more preaching. It's more glory. It's more glory. Those other things are all good things and right things and all things, but they flow out of the focus on the glory of God. The purpose of your life is not to have good kids or to have a good job or to have a happy marriage or to have your house paid off or to have... That's not the purpose. Those might be good things, but they're not the main thing. The main thing is... I want to live for the glory. And now to him who's able to do those things. And forever and ever, amen. Well, so what? So what? I like any of my messages that way because it makes me think about what am I going to do about from hearing this message? Why did I come to church today? What was the nugget that you heard today that as a result of what you heard, you need to live differently? So what? Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Here's so what is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But maybe you're here and you've been so fixated on yourself and on your job or whatever it is and God hasn't been on the throne. Then I'm going to, before God, I'm going to make that right and best I can, growing up in it, being sanctified on this bumpy road, I want to live for the glory of Jesus Christ the Lord, whether it's in my home or serving in the church, asking God for what he will do, what he can accomplish. This is why we're here. Discover the God who made us and live for his glory and to show off how awesome he really, that he really is so that others will see his glory 